0: Hello and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. With increasing responsibility, accountability and expanded duties, modern leaders are expected to do more with less and yet still be nimble enough to balance shifting priorities. With so much at stake, how can you hack your leadership to ensure you still make a real impact? Today's show will provide a practical guide to achieving more in less time and giving you some tips on some strategic insights. Okay, a really good place to start is some research. Demographics and social research really is at the core for business to keep on top of trends, understand people, which is their customers and suppliers and stakeholders, and develop strategic leaders. Australia's population has just hit 25 million. Australia grows by one person every 83 seconds. Our next guest is going to give us some strategic insights into what this all means. From McCrindle Research, Jeff Braley, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Jackie. Great to be here.
0: Great. Now, let's get going with this. Now, this record population growth, it was really interesting, the 25 million, but the thing that I found interesting was that it exceeded all forecasts. Like, who's doing these forecasts and why are they getting it so wrong? Yeah,
1: the... uh the forecast, I think, as futurists, we appreciate the, uh, the data that is used to make those forecasts is collected through the census, and that's collected by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And yeah, back in 1998, uh, their predictions using the current migration uh, and current birth rates was that Australia, by the year 2051, according to their low prediction predictions, would reach 23.5 million, which we've long ago exceeded yeah. just a few years ago. Now we've also reached the mid growth forecast of 24.9 million, so we've reached that. Uh, yeah, and now having reached the 25 million mark, we're on our way to reaching their high growth forecast, which is 26.4 million, and we'll reach that uh, by mid-2021. So in less than three years, we're uh, on track to reach that high growth forecast, and I think that's probably the thing that as the ABS have done their projections, and this is going back two decades. Mm. The data has changed in terms of population growth, uh, migration policy changes, longevity increases and a solid birth rate have defied the trends that were evident 20 years ago when those projections were made. So we um, don't write them off on their projections, we really rely on them as do a lot of government and planning business organisations rely on those projections. So we have reached that goal quite quickly and that's probably uh, evidenced in terms of the challenge in some of the uh, infrastructure, traffic, housing affordability, a few of those impacts. So it really does impact uh, when those projections are met quickly and it's fascinating the, uh, the levers that are at play in how that's happened.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when I was looking at the uh, forecast and what they based it on and the area that I found most fascinating, they predicted that less people would be having less, less children. So mm-hmm. the birth rate would always go down, um, more uh, couples and individuals were choosing not to have children. But what's happened is quite the opposite. There's been this sort of spurt again. It's almost like the baby boomers um, from the sort of 50s and 60s have re-emerged.
1: Yeah, it's that baby boom 2.0 is almost one way of describing it, where we've (laughs) now had over 300,000 births in the last calendar year. And that's uh, where we're seeing a lot of that growth. That total fertility rate's gone up from 1.7 to 1.79 over those last two decades. So uh, using those projections, that's where we've seen the birth rate, and I think that's a good sign for our nation and our economy is that uh, people are seeing as a great place to raise and have kids, and we know migration is one of the factors that's caused growth, as the natural increase is the other main one there as well. So Australia is growing through overseas migration as well as that natural increase, which is, I think, a really really positive sign for the outlook of Australia.
0: Yeah, and of course we're living longer, and all these demographic and social uh elements, I suppose, impact Australian population, which then, if we think about that, we then go, okay, that's going to impact consumers and customers. So I suppose it leads me to go, well, what impact does this have on business? So business leaders, this is such a great source of gold of information to help with strategic planning, isn't it?
1: That's right, and this is where I think understanding Australia's population as a demographer is something that every business owner should have a a really good grasp of the demographics of our country, and that involves not just knowing that big headline, that of the 25 million population, but knowing that population, and we live in 9.6 million households with an average of 2.6 people per household, and even our median age of 38, we are slowly getting older, and so what does that look like for businesses and organisations, community groups across our great nation, and how do we respond to our ageing and increasingly culturally diverse population as well. There's some real great impacts, particularly when it comes to things like how do you communicate the vision or the purpose or the key messages of an organisation, how do you communicate with your stakeholders internally, externally, your customers, as the Australian uh, nation both experiences two. The digital disruption, we do live in what we call the Great Screen Age, mm. but also we do have increasing cultural diversity. So people are speaking a range of different languages and come from different cultural backgrounds. So the values of Australians I think is we're seeing is, is changing and, and I think there's a good thing to that cultural diversity that provides new opportunities for businesses.
0: Yeah, and I think that impact on business, if business owners and senior managers in business, so people in decision-making roles in business, if they can understand that, that's going to help them tremendously keep relevant. It's going to help them sustain their business. And the thing with MacRindle, which I love, I'm a huge MacRindle fan, where it's taking care of business here, you're our social research gurus, is that you do these fabulous infographics. So any business owner listening or senior manager listening now thinking it's all this data it's doing my head in go google mccrindle research and have a look you do some wonderful infographics so you actually start putting it into pictures which is also one of those trends i suppose jeff Mm -hmm. that that our brain interprets visual information so much more efficiently than reading numbers or text
1: that's right we love bringing the data to life so head to mccrindle.com.au and you'll see those infographics where we visualise things like the number of the Gen Z, those aged 9 to 23, they're uh, sort of a school-aged, uni-aged uh, group that are heading into the workforce now. They actually take up uh, 14% of today's workforce, but in a decade, those Gen Zs will make up a third of our workforce. So as a senior manager or employer out there looking and wondering, well, what's the future of my company going to look like? Well over the next uh, 10 years, we're seeing that Gen Zs and their older sort of brothers and sisters, the Gen Ys, those currently 24 to 38, they're going to make up two-thirds of the workforce in a decade. And with that technological, I guess, uh, experience and, and savviness of those younger generations, compared to maybe the older Gen X and baby boomers, I think that's where we're going to see the, uh, the workforce changing, How uh, even how smartphones are used in the office and even in retail. There's uh, a range of different applications of understanding those infographics and how Aussies are living, earning, learning, playing and working because I think what we try to do is really bring that data to life through those infographics so that, as the old saying says, it's a picture that says a thousand words and we've got a number of those infographics that are going to be relevant on population, those younger generations, the ageing, uh, population of Australia, so there's
0: plenty there for your listeners, so I hope they enjoy it. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's stacks of information there so, I'll, actually, you know, I'll put a link to our Facebook page because it really is valuable stuff and it's really good work, but the other bit too, just for a bit of trivia, just as we finish off Dred Jeff, I did find interesting, I, I was thinking, how does Australia compare globally? So we've got 25 million Then I thought it's, it doesn't sound very much compared globally, but I was surprised that we're 53rd largest population in the world and that's actually more than I thought we would be, actually.
1: Yeah, Australia's got a... Uh, it's, it's a reasonable size population. We're not at the top 10 or top 20 even, but we uh, do make it in the top 100 list. But I think when you look at those capped cities of, of Sydney and Melbourne, uh, Sydney already exceeding 5 million people in it. It's a global-sized city, and Melbourne uh, later this month will reach 5 million residents as well. So our cities are on a global scale, and with Melbourne receiving the Most Liberal City Award for seven years running, they're doing exceptionally well. Uh, Sydney, I think, probably experiencing a bit of the pain in some of the delayed infrastructure, but also what is, I personally think, the most beautiful city in the world in terms of the uh, glorious harbour, the Great River, city of Parramatta, and then uh, heading west further where we're anticipating the aerotropolis. And I think as Australia continues to grow, Australia's growth as we head towards the year 2030 will reach that 30 million milestone. So we'll be climbing those international uh, ladder of population milestones and, and comparing and I think rising over the years. And then by the middle of this, century. By 2048, we'll reach the 40 million milestone. So, And that's, uh, I guess, uh, assuming all those growth factors we talked about earlier of natural increase and overseas migration, based on the current trends, we're looking at that growth and Australia's growth is very steady, very very strong, and uh, we're going to need to plan for that growth. And I think it's a great opportunity for business leaders with that uh, future growth. The sentiment of Australia's growth, I think, has great impacts for B2C and B2B businesses as we are leaders in that uh, population growth. Australia is
0: growing very fast. Yeah, well, Jeff, I can't let you get away with saying Sydney's the best city in the world. I'm broadcasting here from Melbourne, and I think Melbourne is. But you know what? Let's stay parochial. They're both great cities, uh, but and you can see the attraction. But there's also, I think, regional Australia is growing as well, isn't it, that people are seeing the benefit of uh, moving to regional areas?
1: Yeah, that's right. There are some great uh, regional towns that are experiencing population growth, The capital cities, particularly the the Sydney and Melbournes, are experiencing uh, interstate migration. Uh, Sorry, Melbourne is experiencing interstate migration. However, Sydney's uh, experienced a bit of a decline in terms of interstate migration because there are some great coastal and uh, regional towns that are very uh, affordable and have greater services infrastructure there to provide for both schools, education, that lifestyle factor, the beach, the, the mountains, the bush. So I think Australians are really exploring some of those Uh, different places to live but those two capital cities do house two out of every five Australians Melbourne and Sydney take up 40 percent of our population just between the two of those cities so people still do love that urban cafe sort of lifestyle where they've got the restaurants and the cultural events and the uh uh, I, I guess that sense of the, the big city life, which I think uh, Australia is learning to love and appreciate. There are some challenges, no doubt, but I'll let you... Uh, we'll have another discussion on the best city in Australia I hope <laughs> to keep that conversation going. So here, I'm from Sydney, but I've been to Melbourne a lot, I love the uh, atmosphere, the, cost, the culture, the lifestyle... That's a beautiful and uh, very prosperous and growing uh, city there.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm at the other end, but I, you know what? I'm glad that we're nearby. You know, I'm glad that it's not Perth; it's which is a long way away. So Mel- <laughs> Melbourne, Sydney, I see them as an extension of each other, and I think that I think them actually. This is my view. I think them being so close has actually helped both the growth of both cities. Yeah, They're
1: I would agree. they have sort of leveraged agree, off each other. I think it's one of the. Uh, uh, top five world's busiest flight paths between Sydney to yes. uh, Melbourne. So it's an incredibly popular uh, sort of transit passage. Uh, and I think both cities do... Uh, I think there is a little bit of rivalry as we banter. It's, it's healthy, I think, to have yes. that debate of which is the uh, best city. But I think the, the two do make Australia a really standout country when you look at those two leading cities. I know that neither in the capital of the nation, uh, with Canberra, but I think uh, as that uh, those three on that east coast, sort of south coast, really do a greater uh, powerhouse, not just economy, not just uh, community, but a great location for business as well across that east coast of uh, Australia.
0: Yeah, well, that's why they picked Canberra. It was in the middle. Actually, Melbourne used to be the capital. That's where our that's right, parliament right. was. And uh, and they picked in the middle. But, you know, as, as I always say, every Pepsi needs its Coke. So I think we uh, <laughs> we, we need each other <laughs> desperately. I, so I that's, like that. Yeah, that's good. It's wonderful. Jeff Braley from McCrindle Research, thank you so much for giving us an insight into this really interesting demographic and social research on Australia's population. As I said, we'll put a link to our Facebook page uh, for businesses to look at these wonderful Graphics, they are really powerful. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure, Jackie. All the best.
0: Thank you. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Ottawa PFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. As we are talking today about leadership, and there are many myths in business, and one in particular I want to highlight today for all leaders that are listening is about hiring mature age workers. Our next guest is a leadership and people management specialist and explains why they're an asset you're missing out on. Karen Gately, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here. Now, in any workplace, attracting and retaining the right employees is important, but mature age workers are often overlooked for positions due to common misconceptions. Why is that?
2: Yeah, look, I think there are lots of, uh,
0: biases
2: in the workplace, and some of those are conscious, some of them are unconscious, um, you know, that lead to, to different groups being discriminated against, which, you know, ultimately means they're um, not con- given fair consideration for, for opportunity or, you know, allowed to um, contribute more or, or get ahead in the organisation. And so, obviously, with um, more mature, mature age workers, some of the, the common ones, for example, are around the belief that people want to slow down as they um, transition to retirement. So people start to make assumptions about, you know, when we're at a certain stage of our working careers, about how much energy we now want to continue to invest or or otherwise. Um, So there's many of those beliefs. um, But as I say, you know, some of the, the challenge is actually getting people to bring into the conscious some of those unconscious biases
0: that they hold. Yeah, so, you know, things like, let's go through a few about, like, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I don't think that's true. What's your view on that? I don't think it's true at all. Yeah, I, know, I think it's um... ridiculous, but people do have that misconception, don't they?
2: Yeah, and, and honestly, I'm curious to understand where that's come from mm. in history in terms of just the, the expression, but certainly in my experience. In the workplace, it really comes down to desire. You know, as so long as somebody has obviously the baseline competence and, it's irrespective of what you know age they are, um, you know, as long as they have the the aptitude and the desire to go down a certain path and there's no reason that they they can't. So I meet many people at later stages in their career who who want to continue to contribute, who are really passionate about what they can achieve and and what they can be part of in terms of a broader team success um, and have no desire to to step back. And therefore, that desire means that they're willing to give the go. They're willing to learn those skills and um, capabilities that are needed.
0: Yeah, well, we we keep hearing the benefit of diversity in any team, and uh, for for team leaders or employer employers or CEOs to be recruiting people around them that's different from them, and I think that the in a diversity mix, mature age workers, I think's been they've they've missed out on that. It, it, what's your view on that?
2: Well, I think that's entirely right, and that comes down to an organisation. Valuing experience and, and wisdom, and recognising that you know people who perhaps bring greater life experience um, can actually add value. You know, even if it's for example, um, mentoring and, and helping less experienced team members to learn and grow in certain areas, or um, you know, whatever the case may be. I think there is less but more focus needed and less focus, as you point out, <clears throat> that's been brought in the past to, you know, how can we really tap into, um, you know, what is an, an ageing population? Mm. You know, there's, there's more and more older workers um, in the workforce and certainly outside of the workforce wanting to get in. So, you know, how can we value that and leverage that talent pool that, that we're, you know, we need now but we're going to need more and more into
0: the future yeah there's that great movie the intern which I'm sure you've seen with Robert de Niro yeah. uh, where he comes back in as a uh, as an employee of and his managers you know old enough to be his daughter um, yeah. but just the wisdom it's a great movie and it actually demonstrates brilliantly what you've uh, what you're talking about now the other thing I've come across uh, one of the other barriers I suppose or limiting beliefs for business owners or employers when they're looking at recruitment is they overlook you know anyone over 50 they think oh they're really not up to date with social media and technology that that could be a potential barrier have you found that
2: yeah i think that's right and, and what makes me laugh at times is that often people making those assumptions are themselves in that age category. <laughs> yes. you know it's like <laughs> all of a sudden 50 years old you know considered elderly it's um really crazy. You know, we're not just talking about employers having question marks over people in their 70s being able to learn. It's people in their 50s. Mm. So, you know, again, I think that's a belief that absolutely needs to be challenged. um, You know, whilst um, it may be true to say that younger people have grown up with that technology, that doesn't necessarily mean they are fully engaged with it or understand it, (coughs) pardon me, in terms of (coughs) application to you know the, the business world, and you know how that technology can be leveraged effectively. For example, so you know there are there are lots of um, myths, as we're saying, around both the capacity to learn technology, um, and and then you know the ability to apply that in our in our jobs that need to be challenged.
0: Yeah, we are as human beings can be very short sighted with things as uh, as simple as age. You know, people say, oh, it's just a number but uh, when people find out an age, they sort of jump quickly to conclusions of what that means. Uh, and I know now, thank goodness, on CVs or uh, your resume that you don't have to put your age anymore. But, I, look, I, I see quite a lot of CVs and resume in my work, and people still tend to put their date of birth on there. And I'm thinking, yeah. why are you doing that? What's your experience in that? Yeah, no, again, I, I agree with you. it's it's
2: completely unnecessary, it's irrelevant. You know, what an employer is looking at is your track record and experience relative to what they need in the role. And, you know, again, it's information that may have traditionally been provided, but there's no reason that an employer could argue it, it is required. You know, even on a, a physical capacity perspective, you know, you can't make assumptions that just because somebody's at a certain age that they are or aren't capable of a certain activities or, you know, tasks. So, you know, I think um, absolutely you're better served just to leave that information off. I think, you know, one of the important aspects of overcoming these issues is that, you know, applicants applicants themselves, you know, step into the process with absolute confidence about what they can offer and their, you know, level of enthusiasm and the energy they want to invest in the role. Um, and, you know, just be silent on information like, you know,
0: your age. Yeah, and I think if you are a mature age worker looking at getting a job uh, or maybe starting your own business because you can't get a job and you're thinking, well, I still want to work, So, uh, and that seems to be the growth, a growth pattern for entrepreneurs over 50s. But those that are... That are older looking at, uh, and getting a job. LinkedIn, for instance, really important, but, uh, I was advising a, a, a colleague of mine recently who's looking at doing that and she's in her mid fifties and, uh, and she's looking at getting back into the workplace. And the first thing I said to her, on your LinkedIn profile, don't go any further back than 1990. That's, that's sort of enough. <laughs> I think if you go yeah. back any further, <laughs> you know, as long as it's relevant, but, People yeah. can think, oh, you know, like I wasn't even born then, so what are they going to know about <laughs> uh, about anything? But I think, you know, things like LinkedIn—if people—if you're looking for work, people are looking at you, and they're yeah. they're going to use that.
2: Yeah, and again, it's it's about providing information that's relevant. You know, it's um, a rare scenario where your experience, you know, older than 1990 is going to be relevant. Um, to to what you're doing today. So there might be exceptions to that, clearly, depending on the profession that you're in and the the track record that you want to be able to demonstrate. Um, But again... think about why is it that I have a LinkedIn profile and if job searching and securing the next opportunity is part of the outcome that you want to achieve, then what information is needed in order to make that um, or facilitate that process when an employer is is looking at your information online. Again, if you're self-employed, it may have different um, criteria that you're contemplating in terms of how far back and what Levels of experience or, or personal history you need to and want to share through that that big mechanism.
0: Yeah, one of uh, one of your ideas um, that that you've had, and I think I don't know where I found it on your website or on your LinkedIn profile, but somewhere. And I and I think that the cornerstone for this whole topic is around the concept of mentoring and coaching. Because that's where they've got, you know, mature age uh, workers have got the experience, have quite often got the maturity, Um, they've, they've seen more ups and downs, of course, because they've lived more years on the planet than the person that they're, you know, they're coaching or mentoring. But was that, but it was about thinking ahead. So it wasn't just going, you know what, tomorrow I think I might get a job. It's actually, you know, maybe in your 40s going, okay, well, what am I going to be doing in the 50s or the 60s or the 70s? So how can I start planning for that now? So could just tell oh, us gosh. a little bit about what your thinking is around that, Karen.
2: Well, that's right. You know, I think it's like anything else in life where we we want to make a particular outcome happen. We need to do it on purpose. And the more thought we give to that, the more plans we have, the more deliberate we can be. So obviously, as we transition in our career to various stages, you know, having a really clear view of what do I want to be doing at, at various stages can help To to realise that. So again, you know, depending on where you're at, projecting forward around, you know, what capabilities will I have to bring to that stage of my career? Um, What interests will I have? You know, how do I actually want to be spending my, my time? What level of income do I need to be earning? relative to wanting to be earning. You know, having a clear view of those things means we can start to, to take the steps. And, you know, it's like anything with our careers. It's a whole Lego, you know, building that we need to bring mm. together. Um, so, you know, what are those those building blocks that we need to collect along the way to, to have the, the reality, including retirement, that, that we want?
0: Yeah, being more proactive than reactive, because I see a lot of reactive and it doesn't work so well with something like this. But I think the other area that's, that's key is a lot of businesses now are getting more and more risk adverse. So that then works towards the mature, mature age worker because they, they come with less risk. They're most likely going to stay longer. They're not going to leave for family reasons because that's all been sorted out.
2: Yeah,
0: well, that's absolutely often, obviously
2: clearly not always the case, but often a uh, more mature worker will be more certain in terms of where they're at in their career, mm. um, have clearer ideas of why they're doing what they're doing and perhaps have more patience around taking steps within the business. Um, so, you know, of course there are some real benefits to that. And again, if we overlay then the the limiting belief that that person can't then learn and and adapt, well, it's just not true. So, you know, clearly um, having that stability and that longevity and that desire, you know, a lot of people later in their careers do want this to be the next, you know, final job or or one of only two last jobs that they really invest in. doesn't necessarily mean they just want to do that for a short period of time. So, you know, it's important to know people you know really understand what those aspirations are for their future and and how their career now and the steps ahead fit into that
0: plan yeah some great ideas and some great thoughts Karen Gately thank you so much for your valuable time now those listening want to find out more about your ideas and your thoughts where can they find you well, absolutely.
2: You can visit uh, our website at au, and there's um, plenty of article links and lots of interviews like this one sharing insights to careers and all things
0: leadership. Wonderful. Once again, Karen, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. I love it. Love having people like Karen on Taking Care of Business right here on Ottawa PFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. One of the biggest challenges facing business leaders today is keeping up with a world that reshapes itself faster than the best strategic plans can keep up with. Our next guest is a strategic speaker and author on this very topic. Jeff Schwizo, welcome to the program. Thank
3: you, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be
0: here. Good to have you here. Now, your new book, you've just written a new book called Projectify, so how to use projects to engage your people in strategy that evolves you, your business. Uh, you talk about projects being the missing link between strategy and execution. What do you mean by that?
3: Um, the In today's very dynamic business environment, as you point out, I think one of the key um, survival skills, really, certainly the ability that's brought is going to be that ability to adapt at the pace of change in the business environment and be nimble in the face of uncertainty. And too often leaders have made uh, business strategy a very static and analytical process. And one of the rarest things in a strategic plan is, in fact, a plan for executing the plan. So some sort of strategy for implementing the strategy, if, if you will. And, and the, the link, if you will, that I um, believe in that dynamic environment is when you actually create projects that translate your strategic intent into the operational reality of the people that are on the front lines of delivering customer services, doing, doing the business of the business and um and value that the
0: business is, is looking to deliver to a client that you yeah well interesting you said the front line because uh you know as you mentioned business strategy uh sort of founded it was about it's the the military roots is where business strategy came from and and books like the art of war is such a great book about business strategy is that still relevant today or has it changed what
3: what's actually changed is that we've moved away from those military roots. So it, it was born of that thinking that there's, there's high-level thinking that we need to bring to the business environment, um, using armies to win wars, use the, the military analogy, as opposed to moving troops around the battlefield, which would be the, the rough equivalent of the operational reality of the business. But what we've tended to do is, is lose that linkage that was always there in military strategy is that, um, as <laughs> many great quotes from military strategists, um, you know, plan, plans are worthless, but planning is indispensable. Mm. And and yet we've been, like David Eisenhower and others, have been a, a accredited with that, that quotation, but we've actually started to embrace the planning idea as a way of producing an output generating a plan is more important than actually being able to plan for an certain future. And so I think what we've done is we've moved away from those, those military routes where strategy and tactics were linked. They were separate, but one informed the other. And now we tend to look at strategy as something that's almost separate from our businesses. And it's, you know, maintaining this sort of high-level view of our businesses is what we we tend to see strategy as when, in fact, strategy has multiple levels. There's strategy at their high level, but then there's the detailed strategy. How, how do we take that strategic thinking and turn it into something that, that our businesses could, can actually use in, in, in the military side of things, how, how our, um, um, our troops on the ground can actually use to benefit them in, in uh, combating the enemy sort of
0: Yes, so with the business planning, you know, the the old traditional view would be a five-year business plan or a ten-year business plan, and I think with the the speed of business, speed of communication has speeded up business, Uh, and so people are having, you know, one-year business plans and three-year business plans. What's your view on the timing of a business plan or business strategy?
3: I, I think there are two elements to strategic planning. Way, Mm -hmm. strategic strategy making is probably the way I like to describe it. So there's the planning and then there's the doing. Um, And there are certain elements of strategy that are more deliberate. And so, you know, I want to move into a new market, Um, either as in create a new product that goes into a new market or move into a new geographic market. Those things are, are much more deliberate. They, they unfold over a long period of time and, and you need to have a strategy for um, rolling out that strategy. But then there is what um, Henry Mintzberg describes as emergent strategy. So the ability to adapt your strategy as the marketplace itself unfolds. And so the type of projects that I advocate in projectifying the strategy are short duration, hard hitting activities that are three to six months that are a step toward your strategic goals. And then gain clarity after taking that step so you can start to see what are the what are the impacts of a strategic move on my ability to go where I want to go in terms of my strategic direction. So I think there's two elements to it. I think there's deliberate strategy that is more longer term, but probably to be done endorsement but then there's an emergent strategy that is more dynamic and in tune with that dynamicism that exists in the business
0: environment. yeah I love the term strategy making uh, I think that that sort of encompasses everything really beautifully packages it really nicely and makes sense. Uh, where do you think this you know you're sorry you talked in your book about we're busy being busy. And uh, I I really like that. Could you just explain a little bit what you meant by that? Well,
3: I have a love hate relationship with productivity. We we <laughs> there is so much emphasis these days on actually being immediately productive, having a everything that we do generate some sort of a specific outcome or result, and Oftentimes, the direction, (laughs) if I should say it that way, of those outcomes and results are unintentional. So as long as I'm doing something that I can say generates a a result, then I've been productive. And so we want to create this um, perception of busyness to feel that we're adding value. And, And in fact, oftentimes, particularly when you start talking about strategy, the re- immediate return on that investment of time and energy isn't there. So we do something today that's setting us up for a future, and we may not see the, the um, results of those efforts in terms of business value for weeks, months, even years into the, into the future. So we, we get caught up in this world of winning doubt do something that makes me look like I'm being busy because if I'm producing things, I'm being productive. And, in fact, productivity really is just a way of assessing is the work that we're doing actually generating a commensurate value for the business, assessing the level of that value, if if you will. And so it's a particularly useful way to um, assess whether you're strategically
0: continue on that military theme it's almost a badge of honor if you're busy well I'm really busy 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 oh. busy
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely and, and you know and, and the more I can suffer the you know <laughs> the more that business
0: something yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how do you future proof your business so those that are listening that are business owners or entrepreneurs or senior managers and uh, listening to this, looking at projects and strategy and strategy making, uh, how can they future-proof their business?
3: One of the things that we, one of the ways we can keep strategy often is that we see strategy as a high-level view of our operational environment, of our presence. So I'm, I'm being strategic when I'm looking at the business from a high level. Strategy by its nature is a future focused activity. And it literally since the Greeks invented the concept, it was always about we're we're using strategy to set us up for the future. And if you think about it, if your future is always in front of you, if you keep a consistent, persistent, strategic activity through your business, you're always keeping an eye on the future, doing something to prepare your business, adapt to that future that that might be out in front of you. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there truly such thing as future-proofing your business? Probably not. But what you can be doing is putting your business in a position where it's able to better adapt to any future that comes at it, the uncertainty that might live in that
0: that's a that's a really good point. Uh, projectify is the book is this uh, what number book is this for you Jeff?
3: Uh, this is this is my first
0: book. Right? Oh, it's your first book. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. It looked like your first and then I read you and I thought you looks like that you're a seasoned author. So congratulations on the book. How's the process writing your first book?
3: It's pretty much like everybody describes it. It it was um It actually it gets long at the end after you've read it for the seventh time and, and or re- rewritten it. <laughs> yes. But, but what, I, what I actually found quite um, enlightening about the process of writing the book, at least the first manuscript, mm. is, is how much it really challenges and, and uh, drives your thinking. So it forces you to go deeper in, in a lot of cases than you probably thought about things previously. Kind of forces you to see how other people think about the same ideas. Otherwise, you're you know, just putting something out of the world with an opinion as, as opposed to uh, something that's, that has the ground and has some, some solid um, either research or um, um, factual basis on which that your ideas are, are being presented. So it, it really it challenges your thinking. So that part of it was, was, was fun, I'll say, um, you know, rewriting for the.
0: On, maybe not so much fun <laughs> yeah well congratulations now uh, you've also got a uh, testimonial here a recommendation by uh, Seth Godin who we all know and uh, he's he's really generous with his time and effort with books is he a, a friend of yours or business colleague how did Seth how did you get Seth to write that for you mostly I asked
3: but I, I mean we occasionally we've exchanged emails here and, here and there and and I've done a bit of work in some of his, his programs previously um and you know he when I when I did ask he, he warned me I'm so pretty busy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't know if I'll really get a chance to look at the book um and and then a couple short weeks later he, he came back with a uh, with a blurb so yeah I was, I was it was very generous, and I was,
0: I was very grateful. He's very, and I,
3: and I do respect his quite
0: a lot. Oh, he's yeah, enormous respect. And uh, just for those listening. Uh, you'll have to buy Jeff's book to find out what Seth said. I was going to read it out and I went, no, I'm going to tease everyone. They can look at the book, they can get <laughs> it and read it themselves but we had a, we interviewed someone the other day um, that had written a book called Cultivating Curiosity and, she, and Seth had written a, 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 a testimonial in her book and I asked her the same question and she didn't know him, she just thought she'll just send him an email and he responded and ended up um, editing her, uh, her introduction for her and ma- made some suggestions which she was just blown away by so uh he's a great contributor to to business thinking and (coughs) thought leadership so uh that's that's great well jeff schwezo congratulations on your first book projectify i'm sure you can find it anywhere books are sold and uh we wish you continued success and thank you very much for your valuable time to be on the show today
3: Thanks, Jackie. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having
0: me. pleasure. Good to have you. Jeff Schwizo on his book, Projectify. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. That's the end of the show. Can't believe it goes so fast. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation today. Picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you missed a lot, but you can grab this show on the podcast on the Adult PFM website, www.ardowallpfm.com.au or follow us on social media. Thank you to all of our worldly guests today and we look forward to your company next Friday 11am. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business.